One of the most important and impacting areas of thinking is how you think about yourself. Today, we'll be learning how to think positively about ourselves. This message is the sixth in the series, Remind. The message is entitled, From Me Thinking to He Thinking, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and your teaching sheets as we continue our series of messages called Remind, and I'm going to talk to us this morning and actually the next couple of weekends as well about a particular area of our thinking. We're talking about in this new year how to change the way you think, how to think differently, how to think in a more healthy and godly way. I want to talk to us about moving from what I'm going to call me thinking to he thinking. In fact, why don't we start out together by saying that phrase, moving from me thinking to he thinking. The me is, of course, us. The he is, of course, him. The Bible is very clear about the power of your thoughts. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, be careful. Let's pay close attention. Watch out for it. It's a warning. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So the life right now that you're living and the life that will be your life five years from now or ten years from now is being shaped right now by the way that you are thinking. The Apostle Paul describes for us the way that our lives are changed. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. That's the word there is actually to bring about a metamorphosis in your life. Let God metamorphosize you. Let God transform you into, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and perfect. God is very interested in your thoughts. God wants to help you to learn to think holy thoughts and healthy thoughts. Now, in your mind, at any point in time, you're thinking about a variety of things. Usually, the things that you will be thinking about will fit at least four categories. Number one, you'll either be thinking about God at some point. We hope that you think about God and your relationship with Him. You have thoughts about yourself. You have thoughts about other people, and you have thoughts about life, the situations that you're in, the circumstances you're facing, uh, the, the information that you're processing. So all of your thoughts primarily fit those four categories, relationship with God, my relationship with self, how I deal with me, my relationship with other people, and how I handle life circumstances, situations, and just the data, the information around me. So you're processing all of this on a consistent basis. What I'm going to do this weekend, and actually for the next couple of weekends, I want to talk to you about one aspect of those four dimensions of thought. I want to talk to you about how you think about you. We've talked a bit about how we think about God, and through the series we'll come back to that later, but I want to focus in this weekend, and as I said in the next couple of messages as well, on how do you think about you. Do you know that you're thinking about you a lot? More than you realize, you're thinking about you. In fact, Whether you have monitored yourself recently or not, all the time throughout the day, there are these messages that we give to ourselves. It's called self-talk, and you are carrying on a conversation with you. Even when you're carrying on a conversation with someone else, you're you're still carrying on a conversation with with your own self. Because when you're saying something, you ever thought yourself thinking, I wonder if that was really dumb what I just said. And so you're saying something to them, but you're processing it internally as well. And so there's this ongoing conversation happening internally in your life. And so we want to help you. God wants to help you to learn to think the right way about you. And what I've learned over the years is that there can be a lot of unhealth in the way that we think about ourselves. A lot of unhealth in the way we talk to ourselves. In fact, 
for many of us, if we were to monitor really closely what we're saying to ourselves, we would be appalled because we would never say to someone else the kind of things that we say to ourselves. Sometimes you do say things to yourself like, you're really dumb, you're really a mess up, you're never going to make much of yourself, or you've really messed up this, this situation, or you're really whatever, you fill in the blank, all these negative terms, and you would never dream of necessarily verbalizing that to someone else, but you're, it's the self-conversation, the stuff that you're thinking about internally. And on your notes, you will see that I've given you some continuums of thought uh, in terms of health, unhealthy thinking. It runs from the realm of arrogance on one side to insecurity on the other, from conceit on one side to self-hatred on the other, from pride on one side to hypersensitivity on the other, from obtuseness, that's not a, no awareness of yourself, to hyper-introspection where you're always analyzing yourself, from blaming other people to shaming yourself, from the self-righteous attitude to an inferiority complex, from overconfidence to fear and timidity, from superior to self and doubt. These are continuums that run in your mind all the time. I don't know where you fit in these eight categories, but you land somewhere along a continuum in all of these in terms of how you think about you. And what I want to challenge you with this weekend, I want you to start thinking about how you think about you. Because until you investigate how you think about you, you're never going to be everything that God wants you to be in your life. Now, to think the right way about you, there are three things that have to be in place. Three essential things. You will never think the right way about you unless these three, th these three things are in order. First of all, you have to make sure that you've given God His rightful place in your life because you can't define you apart from knowing God because God is your creator. And if you're going to know and discover everything that you need to understand about you, you need to know the one that made you. Amen? If you don't know the one that made you, and he uniquely made you, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, he constructed me in my, in, in, in my innermost being in my mother's womb. And so he knows you most distinctly and most clearly. And so for you to, to know yourself and to know how to think about yourself, you have to have a relationship with God. That's why a lot of people are struggling uh, with a, with a, with a self-image that is either over-exalted or inferior in the way they think because they haven't come into relationship with God. And so if you've never started a relationship with God, that's what you need to do. That's your first step in the journey. If you know God, you have to get to know Him better. You have to give Him the rightful first place in your life. The second thing that's necessary, if you're going to think the right way about yourself, is that you have to begin to grasp and understand how God thinks about you. Because until you understand how God thinks about you, you're never going to think about yourself the right way. Can I just tell you quickly this morning how God thinks about you? God loves you. He really loves you. He accepts you just like you are. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He's going to work in your life as He does for all of us, but God loves us. He accepts us. We're part, if we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're part of His family, and he's, He has become our Father. And so we're in a family of love. That doesn't mean that God approves of everything that you do, but what it does mean is that God loves you as a person. He has accepted you into His family if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're going to learn everything you need to know about you and think the right way about you. you got to know God. You have to know what God says about you and how God thinks about you. But there's one more thing you have to do. You have to, at some point in time, out of your relationship with God and also out of your knowledge of how God views you, what God says about you, you have to move from thinking all the time about you to starting to serve other people around you. 
That's, what ha- that's where healthy people go. And it's, it's not a complicated thing to do because if you really know God and you're filled up with His love, then now you have something to give others. You begin to live a life that is a life of service to other people. And your highest definition of you is not found in serving yourself. Your highest definition of you is found in serving other people, right? Now, that's what we're calling moving from me thinking to he thinking. Moving from he, me thinking, that is, my life is all about getting what I want. See, when you're insecure, what are you thinking about all the time? Trying to find somebody that can make you feel secure. If, you're in, if you feel inferior, what are you doing? You're trying to find things that will validate your life somewhere along the way. And so you're spending all of your energy on you, okay? Trying to feel good about you. Trying to fix those things about you. Trying to order your world around you. But when you really get healthy on the inside, your world moves from just me to other people to the purposes of God. From me thinking to he thinking. There's a great example of this movement from me thinking to he thinking in in the story of one man in the Bible. His name is Moses. Let me tell you a little bit about Moses. We'll read part of his story here in just a moment. Moses' life story is divided very interestingly into three categories of 40 years. He lived 120 years, and so we can actually divide his life into the first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the final 40 years. The first 40 years of Moses' life, you might remember his story as a baby. He was born as a Hebrew in Egypt when the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. And it was during a time when Pharaoh had given an edict that all the male babies were to be born, but Moses' mother, because he was a special child, hid him away in the Nile River. Remember the story? It made the basket and put him away in the Nile River. Remember all that story? And he's, he's in that basket, and one day Pharaoh's daughter comes by to bathe in the Nile River, and she hears the baby crying. She discovers Moses, and actually Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses. And Moses, notice this, Moses is raised in the Egyptian Pharaoh's household. He's raised as royalty. It's an amazing story. He's redeemed out of the Nile River as a Hebrew, brought into the Egyptian palace and raised as a prince. And here he is for 40 years and he's, he's viewing himself with, with this mindset of royalty. I mean, he has the best education, he has the best clothes, he has the, he has the fastest chariot, he has everything that any young man would want. This is, he's living the high life of an Egyptian prince, okay? This is who Moses is. But somewhere in the back of Moses' mind, he could still see his Hebrew fellow citizens because he knew he was Hebrew. He knew that they were still enslaved, and so he began to think, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to be their answer to their prayers. And Moses began to view himself as the deliverer of the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery, but he was thinking about it in his flesh rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one day what happened was he came upon a situation where some Hebrew slaves were being beaten by an Egyptian slave master, and he takes it upon himself and slays the Egyptian taskmaster, hides him in the sand, But the story gets out that Moses has done this, and Moses has to flee from Egypt. So the first 40 years of his life, what has he been? He's been a prince, right? He's he's been royalty. He's thought of himself quite highly. He's perceived that he's going to be the deliverer for the people of God. But at 40 years of age, he has to run as a fugitive because someone 
the Pharaoh wants to take his life. Now, where did Moses run? For the next 40 years, I want you to see what happened to Moses. He goes into the wilderness, and he becomes a shepherd of sheep, one of the nastiest jobs you can imagine. Can you imagine? I mean, you talk about a demotion going from a prince in Egypt to somebody that nobody knows. He's out in the Midian desert. He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And for 40 years, that's what he does day in and day out. Now, over those 40 years, something was happening in Moses, though, that was very important. What was happening in Moses is that Moses was learning how to think less about himself and more about God. He was moving. God was processing Moses through those 40 years from a me-thinking to a he-thinking because his first 40 years had been me thinking, and now the second 40 years, God says, I want to transition you because I want to use you, but I can't use you the way you were. I can only use you in the way that I want to make you into. That is, you couldn't be used by me as a me thinker, but I want to use you, so I'm going to make you into a he thinker. And so here's what happens. After 40 years in the wilderness, God shows up in a dramatic way at the burning bush. Let's take a look now. Exodus chapter 3. We'll begin in verse number 1. I want you to see what happens here in this story. One day Moses was taking care of Jethro's flocks. Jethro was the priest of Bidia and also Moses' father-in-law. When Moses led the flock to the west side of the desert, he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire coming out of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not burned up. So he said, I will go closer to this strange thing. How can a bush continue burning without burning? up. When the Lord saw Moses was coming to look at the bush, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've seen the troubles my people have suffered in Egypt, and I've heard their cries when the Egyptian slave masters hurt them. I am concerned about their pain, and I've come down to save them from the Egyptians. I will bring them out of that land and lead them to a good land with lots of room, a fertile land. It's the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I've heard the cries of the people of Israel, and I've seen the way the Egyptians have made life hard for them. So now I am sending you to the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, go bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so here is the call that Moses receives from God to go right back where he came from into Egypt and to lead God's people out. Now, please notice what Moses says in verse number 11. In fact, why don't we read it together? It should be on the screens. Let's read. Here we go. But Moses said to God, what did he say? What did he say? I'm not a great man. What did he think of himself 40 years earlier? He thought he was a great man. But now, after 40 years in the wilderness, God says, okay, I've gotten you to a place where it's no longer about you, and you can say, you can acknowledge that you're not a great man. Now, in a moment, you're going to see that Moses also realizes that God is a great God. See, that's where God wants to bring you in your thinking, that it's not about you, it's not about your greatness, but it's about His greatness, amen? 
And so Moses said, I'm not a great man. Let me read further here. Notice what happens. How can I go to the king and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, he's questioning his own ability. God said, I will be with you. This will be the proof that I'm sending you. After you lead the people out of Egypt, all of you will worship me on this mountain. That's Mount Sinai. Moses said to God, when I go to the Israelites, I will say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you. He said, I'm not coming. Moses says, I'm not going to go in my name. I'm going to go in your name, God. What if the people say, what is his name? What should I tell them? Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. When you go to the people of Israel, tell them, I am sent me to you. There in that moment, God revealed himself to Moses in a very unique way he showed him one of his names he said I'm Yahweh I'm Jehovah I am the I am that I am I'm sending you back not in your power but I'm sending you back in my power so he goes back and of course you know the rest of the story he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and then after they come out for 40 years through the wilderness very telling passage here because this passage shows us how God works in people's lives how God moves people from me thinking to he thinking. And if you're going to be healthy in your thinking about you, you and I have to move in that same direction. So how do we do it? What are the, what are the characteristics of a he thinker? That's what I want to lay out for you today and the next couple of weekends. What, 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 is a, what does a he thinker think like? How do, what kind of thoughts do they have? And let me share just two things with you this weekend that will help you to understand how to be a he thinker. How many of you want to be a he thinker, not a me thinker? Amen. I want to be a he thinker. Well, first of all, he thinkers, people who think the right way, God's way, think humbly. They think with humility. All those 40 years in the wilderness, that second phase of Moses' life, what was God trying to do in Moses? He was trying to bring about what? Humility. Because what did he have his first 40 years? Pride. And now he's bringing him to a place of humility. Humility is a state of mind and heart before it is an action. You can pretend to be humble in your actions, but if it's not really in your heart, it will not last very long. Real humility has to be an attitude of your heart and mind, the way you think about God, yourself, and others, before it will be consistently demonstrated in the, in the actions of your life. Humility is obviously the opposite of pride, and the Bible warns us a lot about pride. Let me give you a few of these passages. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 23, pride will do what? It will ruin people, but those who are humble will be honored. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, verse 12, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who are humble, who humble themselves will be exalted. He said, if you try to promote you, it's simply going to fail, but if you let me promote you, then I can do that in ways that will exalt your life, that is, bring favor to your life. Proverbs 12, verse, excuse me, Romans 12, verse number three, because of the kindness that God has shown me, I ask you not to What's the next word there? What is it? Do not what? So what is he talking about? Your mind. Don't let this get in your mind. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you should. Instead, your... Say the word with me. Your 
thoughts should lead you to use good judgment based on what God has given each of you as believers. So he's talking about a thought process of humility. James 4, verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so the first thing that has to be worked in your life, if you're going to move from me thinking to he thinking, you have to learn how to think how Humbly And humbly is, again, humble thinking is an attitude, a thought process before it is an action in your life. It's the opposite of pride. Now, what does humility really look like? What is this thought process of humility? How, how is it maybe uh, expressed through our lives? How do we know when it's there? Let me give you some of the characteristics of humility. These are, are on your notes. First of all, humble people recognize their need for help. I'm going to talk about that one more in just a moment. They recognize that they can't do life without God and they can't do life without other people. Humble people celebrate the successes and advances of others. Let me tell you, when you know humility is starting to work in your life, when you can celebrate somebody else's success and advance just like you would your own. See, the Bible says that we're to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep, right? Have you found it's a lot easier to weep with people who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice? Okay. I mean, when somebody else gets the promotion that you wanted, what's the tendency? Not a lot of rejoicing, is there? When somebody else gets the new car that you hoped you could buy, what happens in your attitude? When these things occur, see, they test the real humility of our lives. And humble people realize that I can celebrate the success of someone else. I can celebrate the advance of someone else just as though it were my advance or my success. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about seeing blessing of God on people's lives. Thirdly, humble people are broken and they're meek in a, in a good way, in good ways. Broken and meek. Let me explain this term or this concept of brokenness and meekness in the Bible. Please listen closely. This, this will help you tremendously. It's helped me greatly in my life. Many times we think of meekness as being sort of a mealy-mouthed, weak kind of person. Well, they're just so meek. Okay? That's not the biblical term of meekness. The best descriptor of meekness in the Bible can be described with a word picture. Just envision with me for a moment, maybe a movie that you've seen before of of wild stallions running out on the plains. I mean, they're just, I mean, these massive horses, and they are totally wild. They've never been corralled. They've never been trained. They've never been broken. And someone comes along, and they, they herd in those wild stallions, and they corral them, and then someone goes through the process of breaking that horse. There are many different ways that horse can be broken, but the horse is broken. That wildness of this massive animal is brought under control. That power that's there is brought under control. And so that is the Greek term for meekness. The Greek term for meekness is a wild animal that has been domesticated. It's like this massive stallion that has all these muscles and great power, but it's brought under control. It's able to serve some valuable purpose. See, a wild stallion serves no purpose other than to run wild, but when it's corralled, it can be used in a positive way in many different beneficial ways. And God looks at your life and says, are you broken? Have you allowed me to shape you, to bring your power under my control? That's humility. The fourth thing that comes along with humility, characteristic, is that, we're, that we become teachable, flexible, and adjustable. 
One of the ways that you know whether you're humble or not, if you're, are you teachable? Can somebody teach you anything? Are you, are you flexible? Are you able to go with the flow, adjust? You don't have to have life your way all the time. Are you able to adjust with the circumstances of life as they come and go? And then finally, you need to have a sensitized, what I call here, convictable and correctable conscience. Humility is when inside you, as soon as God speaks to you about something in your life, and he points out something, you know, if you don't fight with him, you don't justify your behavior, you don't rationalize things. If God says it's wrong, you agree with him. And there's a, bro- there's a brokenness, there's a contriteness of heart. Contriteness goes along with humility. It's a willingness to admit your error and to change your ways, not because somebody is forcing you, but because your heart desires to do that. And God says, look, I want, I want to use you. I want to use you in a great way, but to use you, you have to think the right way about yourself. And to think the right way about yourself, you have to move from me thinking to he thinking, and it starts with thinking with humility. Let me go to the second aspect of fault that we'll look at for the next few moments together. The second way that you need to think, if you're going to move from me thinking to he thinking, is you have to think dependently, interdependently, and independently. I'll give you a moment to write those down. I'll explain them in just a moment for you because these work together. You have to learn to think dependently, interdependently, and independently. You got those words down? If you, as soon as you've written them down, if you are writing them down, we'll just look back up this way for a moment. So I'll know everybody's kind of, because I know there are a lot of letters in those words there. In your life, you're always having to balance these three things. When do I depend on certain things as I'm revealing my weakness and depending? Or when do I, I, when when am I interdependent that I, I become a part of a team that gets something done? And then when do I need to be independent that's doing the things that only I can do, right? And in your life, you're always managing these three things, dependency, interdependency, and independence, always a part of life. And healthy thinkers, when you think rightly about yourself, you begin to make better decisions about those three categories. I'm going to help you to see those three categories and what, what's healthy. The first thing, dependence, is it's extremely important that you and I, if we're going to be a he thinker, we learn to have strong dependence on God. That's where your dependence needs to be. Not primarily on people. Anybody notice that people will let you down? Let me tell you something. If you're trying to get all your affirmation from people, good luck. If you're expecting everybody around you to keep you encouraged, I hope it works out for you. Because generally speaking, the people in our lives, they're not going to be there for us always. And so we have to have a dependency on someone that is greater than us, someone that is greater than humanity, and that is God. And so we learn to depend upon Him. Now, there's an appropriate dependence upon people as well, but primarily we need a strong dependence on God. John 15, verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit fruit, read the rest with me, apart from me you can do nothing, no thing, 
No thing in your life will you ever be able to accomplish well without dependency upon God. Let me ask you this. Is a vine dependent on the branch? Absolutely. Well, that, what will happen if a, vine, if, a, if a branch separates from the vine or vice versa? What will happen? Death will occur. There will be no fruit production. And the same is true for you and me, that we have to be linked in as a branch to the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so are you strongly dependent upon God or do you try to live life in your own strength? Do you try to do things in your own strength? Do you try to make things happen in your own strength? That's where Moses was for the first 40 years of his life. He was not dependent upon God, but God over the 40, second 40 years made him dependent upon him. The second thing you have to learn how to do is you have to learn as well how to make a choice about being a cooperative part of community. Humble people are interdependent. They are a cooperative part of community. They are contributors. Here's how this works. If you think in a healthy way about yourself, you realize that to get a lot of things done in life, you have to cooperate. Right? Now, the opposite of a cooperative spirit is a contentious spirit. And a contentious spirit is always at odds. It's a warring spirit. If you're going to make a marriage work, it requires more than just dependence on God, right? You need God and you need to be dependent upon Him, but you also have to learn how to cooperate with your spouse, right? There's a cooperative thing. There's an interdependence that occurs. And so you have to think, okay, I'm depending upon God for strength in my life, but also I have to learn to move beyond this contentious spirit in my family, and I have to learn how to cooperate. I have to learn how to lay some things down in my life. And so there's this process of cooperation and contribution that you're in community, and in a community, if a community is going to work, whether it be a family community, a church community, a a state community and a civil community, there's the cooperation of people working together to accomplish goals rather than fighting against one another, right? So there's this interdependence mindset that, you know what, I, I, I do depend on God, but I'm also going to cooperate in community. I'm going to be a part of community life. Notice the scriptures, what it says about this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's what? That's called interdependency. I need you to carry my burden sometimes, and you need me to carry your burden sometimes, right? We're part of community together. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting. What's the next word? Circle it. Together, okay? By the way, that's why church is so important. Don't give up meeting together. You can't be together unless you gather, right? That's why we gather together on the weekends, because you can't be together unless you gather, okay? you got to come together. That's what gather means. So that's why we have church. The Bible goes on to say, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So again, carrying each other's burdens, encouraging one another. People with healthy self-esteem know how to give encouragement to the people around them. And then you also have to have the ability to accept responsibility for your own decisions and your own actions. Key word there is responsibility. Moving from me thinking to he thinking, think humbly, but also think dependently, interdependently, and independently. 
dependently. I'm dependent upon God, right? I've got to have Him as my source. Interdependently, I need to be a part of community, right? I think not just, I'm not just a lone ranger. I need to have community in my life. And then I also have some independent responsibilities. There are certain things that God will hold you accountable for in your life. It have nothing to do with anybody else. It just has to do with you, your responsibility. Notice Galatians chapter, four, chapter, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Pay careful attention to everybody else's business. Is that what it says? No. That's how we read it, though, isn't it? No, more, that's how we live, right? Pay careful attention to your, your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Read verse 5 with me. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. This is important. Dependent on God interdependent as a part of community. I'm cooperating with you. We're working together. We're carrying each other's burdens. We're encouraging each other along. But at the end of the day, who am I ultimately responsible for? I don't have to stand before God for you. I've got to stand before God for me, okay? I don't have to stand before God and give an account for your business. I have to stand before God and give an account for my business, right? And that's why the Bible says, mind your own business, because we spend a lot of our time minding everybody else's business, and so we get, oh, if I could just change this person, if I could just do that, and we get into everybody else's stuff, and while we're in their stuff, our stuff is not being attended to, and so we're not carrying our load, our responsibility, we're not doing what we ought to do, and God says, that's not the way to think. The way you think is dependent on God interdependent, I need you, you need me, we connect with one another, I encourage you, you encourage me, I carry your burdens, you carry my burdens, but at the end of the day, I can't blame you if my life is messed up. I can't blame you if I don't have everything that I need. I can't blame you, I can't put the responsibility on somebody else. I have to accept responsibility for the business of my life and carry my own responsibility, right? Uh, can you just think with me for a moment, what, what, that, what would that do for you if you could think that way consistently? Every day you're, depend, you're humble, walking in humility, you're dependent on God, you're, you're encouraging and helping carry other people's burdens, but you live your life focused on your own business, being as responsible as you possibly, possibly could be. Would that make a difference in the way you think? Oh, huge difference. And in the way you live. And that's the beginning process. That's exactly what God was doing with Moses as he worked him through the, first, the second 40 years of his life. He was moving him again from me thinking to what kind of thinking? He thinking. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to take your word and settle it deeply in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask you'll help us to learn, to grow, to change, to mature, to Embrace the truth of your word, Lord God, in ways like we've never embraced it before. And God, I pray that each one of us would truly engage that journey of moving from the me thinking to the he thinking for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. 
You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.